To show off the launch of the new iPads, they tweeted a picture of Tim Cook holding an iPad mini with Apple Pencil with the word hello drawn onto the display of the iPad using the pencil. On Wednesday morning, they took the same image of Tim Cook, but they digitally inserted an AirPod into his ear and they changed the display on the iPad to be a drawing of the new AirPods. I thought that was clever and pretty funny. And people have actually been taking that same image as a meme and putting all sorts of different things on Tim Cook's iPad mini display. It's pretty funny. Welcome to Geared Up, brought to you by National Car Rental. I'm Andrew Edwards, and as you'll see, I am flying solo this week as Todd Bishop and the GeekWire crew are focusing on their content. I will be taking over Geared Up going forward. Geared Up is still your weekly tech news podcast, bringing you all the latest from the world of consumer electronics. And this week, Apple brought us the bulk of the news, but Google was in there as well. Now, as we've been talking about for a few weeks, Apple does have their media event coming up next week, March 25th on Monday, where they'll be officially unveiling their new video subscription service, TV shows, movies that Apple is producing, in addition to bringing in content from other services. I'll be covering all the fallout of that event next week on Geared Up, but let's focus on what went down this week in the news. So as I said here on Thursday morning, Apple actually released a new product this past Monday, this past Tuesday, and this past Wednesday. And I wanted to wait until they stopped doing that. A lot of people assumed Apple would actually be releasing a new product every single day this week. So let's go over some of the new releases. On Monday, in both a press release and on Twitter, Apple announced new updates to the iPad Air and the iPad mini. The iPad Air had actually been out of commission. They stopped selling it last year when they announced the new entry-level iPad at $329. So we had the entry-level iPad, we had the old iPad mini, which is roughly four years old at this point, and then we had the two iPad Pros. So this past Monday, Apple brought back the iPad Air, and it's basically a successor to the older iPad Pro. The 10.5-inch iPad Pro has basically been updated and is now the new iPad Air. So it starts at $499, which is what the original iPad sold for and sold for that for years. So there's now an iPad back at the $500 price point, and that's going to be the mid-range iPad. There's still the budget iPad at $329, 9.7 inches. There's still the iPad Pro, which starts at $800 for 11 inches. And now in the middle of that is the $500 iPad Air. On the inside, it's got the latest A12 Bionic chip. That's the same chip that's powering both the iPhone XS and the iPhone XR. It's got a 10.5-inch Retina display. It's got True Tone in the display. That's the feature where it'll basically white balance itself depending on the light that you're in. It still has support for the Apple Pencil, just like the old iPad Pro 10.5-inch had, and it supports the smart keyboard, just like the old iPad Pro 10.5 inch did. In fact, it's the exact same smart keyboard. So if you have an older smart keyboard that you bought with the 10.5 inch iPad Pro, that'll work here with the new iPad Air. It's one pound, 6.1 millimeters thin. One of the main differences between the new Air and the older iPad Pro 10.5 inch is that this display does not support ProMotion, that 120 hertz motion display. It's not here on the iPad Air, it's back down to 60 hertz, just like all the other iPads. Now, that is not the only iPad that Apple introduced on Monday. They also announced a new version of the iPad Mini. And to me, this is actually the more exciting announcement. I'm a big fan of the iPad Mini. Personally, when Apple first released it, I thought this is the perfect size for an iPad. I was 
disappointed back then because they released the Mini without a Retina display, and it was the only iPad that didn't have a Retina display at the time. But then the follow-up, the iPad Mini 2, incorporated Retina display. And to me, that was a perfect size, perfect weight, the perfect size, most portable. Anyone that just wants a tablet, something bigger than your phone, but something smaller than your laptop just to carry around, the iPad Mini was it. After the release of the iPad 4, there were no more updates to the Mini lineup, and that was several years ago. I think it was about four years ago, in fact. So as of five days ago, you could still buy a brand new four-year-old iPad from the Apple Store. But what you were essentially buying was old technology, an old A8 processor, not a lot of RAM, no Apple Pencil support, etc. So the new iPad Mini is here. It also sports an A12 Bionic chip with the neural engine. Again, same as the iPad Air that I just talked about, same as the iPhone XS, same as the iPhone XR. It's got a 7.9-inch retina display. Now it also supports True Tone, which is the auto white balancing feature. Very cool. And the new iPad Mini even supports the Apple Pencil as well. So now you can carry around Apple's smallest tablet and still use an Apple Pencil if you want to do artwork, if you want to take notes, etc. Now it should be mentioned that both the iPad Air and the iPad Mini are compatible with the original Apple Pencil, not the new Apple Pencil that magnetically attaches to the current iPad Pro. Those require a different shape for the iPad that's squared off edge to magnetically attach to the side. These don't magnetically attach to the iPad Mini or iPad Air. So if you ever saw the original Apple Pencil, you have a little cap that you remove from the bottom of it and it exposes a lightning connector. You plug that into the lightning connector of the iPad itself and that charges the pencil. It is awkward. It looks like you can snap the pencil and break it while it's charging, but it doesn't take long to charge. You can charge it for about a minute or two and that gives you multiple hours of battery life. Now, as I mentioned, the new iPad Air starts at $499, so it's 500 bucks for the Air. The iPad Mini starts at $400, so $100 less, and you get feature parity between the two. So a lot of people were wondering, why is the iPad Mini so close in price to the iPad Air, which sits at the center of the lineup? And in addition, why is it also so much more expensive than the entry-level full-size iPad, 9.7-inch iPad at $329. Why the difference? Well, what you're basically getting here is a miniature iPad Air. It's got all the same features, it's got the same processor, same Apple Pencil support, same True Tone laminated display. Really, you're getting everything but the size. So they could have really called this the iPad Air and the iPad Air Mini, because the mini actually is more feature rich than the entry level iPad. I know that's a little confusing, but if you look at Apple's website, the iPad lineup as it stands is the standard iPad, $329, 9.7 inches. We've got the iPad mini, $399, 7.9 inches. iPad Air, 10.5 inches, $499. And then we've got the iPad Pros, the 11 inch model, $799, and the 12.9 inch version. $999. Those are all starting prices. You can always add additional storage to them, which increases the price. And you can also add cellular capabilities, which will also be an additional fee as well. But as far as starting prices go, Apple now has iPads that start at $329 all the way up to $999. Up next, we're talking about another one of Apple's big announcements of the week, the brand new update to their popular AirPods. More on that right after the break. Welcome back to Geared Up. I'm Andrew Webbers, and it is now time for the National Car Rental Story of the Week. 
Big shout out to National Car Rental for sponsoring Geared Up. If you haven't seen it, I also do a show with them called Technically Speaking, where I talk about the best travel tech you can take with you when you're on the go, whether you're business traveling, whether you're traveling for leisure. There's a lot of different tech you can take with you to make traveling easier, to make traveling more fun, to make traveling more convenient. And Technically Speaking is the show that focuses on all the gear you should be taking with you when you're on the go. You can watch it right now at the nationalcar.com control center or on YouTube over at youtube.com slash national car rent. The latest tech puts you in a driver's seat. National Car Rentals Emerald Club will keep you there. All right, on to the story of the week. It is the new Apple AirPods. On Wednesday morning, Apple tweeted a picture of Tim Cook. And by the way, I forgot to mention this earlier. To show off the launch of the new iPads, they tweeted a picture of Tim Cook holding an iPad mini with Apple Pencil with the word hello drawn onto the display of the iPad using the pencil. On Wednesday morning, they took the same image of Tim Cook, but they digitally inserted an AirPod into his ear and they changed the display on the iPad to be a drawing of the new AirPods. I thought that was clever and pretty funny. People have actually been taking that same image as a meme and putting all sorts of different things on Tim Cook's iPad mini display. It's pretty funny. You can look it up on Twitter. If you want to see all these memes, they're they're good. Some of them are pretty ingenious. But on to the announcement, new AirPods. Apple originally released the AirPods in December of 2016. We're now in March 2019. So about two years and a couple months later, the new AirPods are finally here. They are not as feature packed as we thought they might be. It's more of an incremental update than it is a whole brand new product category. I think what we were seeing in the rumors recently was a mixture of rumors about this update that just happened along with rumors of the next update, which we should be seeing in about a year. So let's talk about these new AirPods and what they have, what's changed and what they can do. Now in their press release, Apple is touting their new H1 chip inside of the AirPods as being the main factor in pretty much every change that we're seeing with the AirPods with the exception of one of them. So according to Apple, New H1 chip allows the AirPods to deliver up to 50% more talk time compared to the previous generation AirPods, which has actually been a point of contention for a lot of people. When listening to music or watching video content, etc., the AirPods would last roughly five hours per charge. But when you got on a phone call, you couldn't expect that same five hours. It would actually be closer to about 90 minutes to two hours. And a lot of people thought, why am I not getting that same five hours of battery life that I get when I'm listening the content when I'm taking a phone call. Now, Apple hasn't explained this, but I do have my own suspicion. And I think it comes down to the microphone. When you're listening to music or watching any sort of video, you're only taking advantage of the speakers in the AirPods and not the microphone. It doesn't need to listen to you. It only needs to play content. When you're on the phone, it's using the speakers in the AirPods as well as the microphones at the same time. And I assume that's why we see the drastic decrease in battery life. Well, the new AirPods allow for up to three hours of talk time. So if you're on a phone or a FaceTime call using the AirPods, rather than getting two hours of time, you'll now get three hours of battery life. So for those of you who use AirPods for those reasons, you're getting 50% more battery life with the new models. Next, switching devices while listening to music on the iPhone or Apple Watch or iPad is more seamless with Apple saying that it now connects twice as fast. So basically, if you're listening to your AirPods on your phone and you want to switch over to your iPad, you can do that twice as fast. You don't have to wait around for the new connection to happen. Apple says the new AirPods will also connect to phone calls 
1.5 times faster. So that means when you answer the phone, if you have your AirPods in, there's usually a delay between when you answer the phone and when the call connects over to your AirPods, it'll start out connected just to your phone. So in my case, I usually have to answer the phone and then wait like two or three seconds and then I can say hello when I have my AirPods in. So this is going to decrease that time, which is another welcome change. One of the bigger changes is going to be Hey Siri support. Now the AirPods will always be listening for you to say Hey Siri and then whatever the command is that you want to give it. And one interesting thing here is it's not actually keeping the microphone turned on at all times. So it's not listening to you at all times per se. It actually has a voice recognition accelerometer built into the AirPods. So when it recognizes the vibration that you saying hey siri would generate that is when it will start listening for your request or your command which i think is that's pretty pretty unique apple says that h1 chip will also increase the sound quality of the airpods when you're listening to music as well and any increase in sound quality is always a welcome change especially for something like headphones probably the main reason you buy headphones is to listen to music or listen to content And the last big change is the inclusion or the option to pick up a wireless charging case when you buy the AirPods. So now when you buy the AirPods, you can still buy them for the same $159 that they were originally available for. And with that $159, you are getting a case that's chargeable with a lightning cable. However, if you spend $199, you will instead get a case that can be charged with a lightning cable or can be wirelessly charged on any Qi compatible charger. So you just take your AirPods, lay it down on a cheap charger, and they'll charge up that way. If you have the first generation AirPods and don't want to upgrade them, but you do wish you could do inductive wireless charging, Apple is also selling the wireless charging case separately by itself for $79. And that will work with the first generation AirPods. So you can swap out the case you have now for the new one that will allow you to wirelessly charge your original AirPods. One other release from Apple this week was the release of updated iMacs. We're seeing new processors available in the iMacs. You can now go up to six cores, including a six core Intel i9 processor, which will turbo boost up to five gigahertz. So that's the first time we're seeing a six core processor in an iMac. And also the first time we're seeing something that can turbo boost of five gigahertz in an iMac as well. The top end iMac is actually rivaling or probably even beating the entry level iMac Pro. But again, nothing radical here. It's not a new design. It's just faster chips from Intel and faster GPUs, graphics cards, including a new Vega option from AMD. You can pick these up right now. They're available from Apple. Actually, everything I just mentioned is available to order right now from Apple. So the new iMacs, the new iPads, and the new AirPods can all be pre-ordered right now. And that was it from Apple. I actually didn't want to record this show, this episode, until Apple stopped releasing products this week. I didn't want to miss anything. So we had new products on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. People actually thought we were going to see a new product every single day this week. Two products that were rumored would be new iPod Touch, which Apple has not updated in, I believe, about three years. So the iPod Touch that you would buy in the Apple Store today has three-year-old technology in it. So that's overdue for an update. And then people also thought we would see the end of the week, a launch of the AirPower charging mat. That's Apple's charging mat that they announced alongside the iPhone 10 about a year and a half ago. They said it would be coming out in 2018. We're now a quarter into 2019 with no 
no mention from Apple at all about air power, but we are seeing that the Wall Street Journal just reported that Apple has given the green light to air power and that it's going to start going into production, which means we should be seeing it soon. Now, I'm recording this on a Thursday. There is still a possibility that Apple just took a day off from announcing products and tomorrow they could still drop air power. And if they do that, I will let you know next week when we cover Apple's media events. All right, after the break, we're going to talk about Google's new gaming platform, Stadia, and my thoughts on what the future of gaming might look like. That's coming up on Geared Up. Welcome back to Geared Up. I'm Andrew Edwards, and now let's get into Google's news of the week. Google took the stage at the Game Developers Conference, GDC, to unveil what they believe is the future of gaming. They have a new platform called Stadia, and according to Google, the future of gaming isn't a box it's a place. And so let's let's break down what Google Stadia is. What basically what Google showed, and which I thought was actually pretty impressive, was someone watching a game trailer on YouTube. And they use Assassin's Creed as the example. So you're watching a game trailer, Assassin's Creed, and underneath the trailer there's a button that says play now. As you're watching this trailer in your browser, in your Chrome browser, you click on play now and instantly you are dropped into the beginning of the game. You're, you're right there. You press the button and instantly the game is playing in your browser. So you grab a controller, you start playing the game in your browser and you decide, you know what? I want to leave my computer and I want to play this, let's just say, on my TV. Fire up your TV and your game is transferred instantly from your computer to your big screen TV. Exactly, exactly where you were, exactly where you left off. Now let's say you want to leave your TV, you want to head into another room, you grab your tablet, pick up your tablet, open up a Stadia session there, and your game transfers from your TV right to your tablet. You grab your Pixel, your Pixel smartphone, same thing. The game is running on Google servers in their Stadia platform. All the overhead, all the processing, everything is happening in Google's cloud, and the only thing that you're seeing on your end is basically a video stream of you playing the game on Google servers in the cloud. So what that means is you won't need an expensive gaming PC, you don't need a dedicated game console, you just need to have Google's Chrome browser and you are instantly able to play games on a phone, on a tablet, on a PC, or on a TV. It's a pretty bold vision. It's where Google thinks gaming is going to be going and Google wants their Stadia cloud streaming service to be the place that brings this to a reality. Now, what do I think about this? First of all, as you're watching it, it's hard not to be impressed. But second of all, I do think this is the future of gaming. You can have way more processing power in the cloud with unlimited resources than you can on a home console. Those unlimited resources, for example, give us 10.7 teraflops of power in a game running on Stadia, and that is more than the Xbox One X and the PlayStation Pro combined, which I believe is 10.4 teraflops. If you combine the power of those two consoles together, it still doesn't match what Stadia can do. Microsoft is actually going to be taking the stage at E3, and they responded saying, Google went big today. Xbox will be going big at E3. That's a paraphrase. That wasn't the exact quote, but basically saying Xbox is going to be doing something similar. And there's been rumors of X Cloud and how Xbox is going to be transitioning from being a box into being a platform. One of the big rumors is that the Nintendo Switch will be gaining Xbox Game Pass access. You basically 
have an Xbox Game Pass subscription and all those games, the 100 games that are available in your Xbox Game Pass can be played on your Nintendo console, your Nintendo Switch when you're on the go. So imagine playing Halo, a game that has traditionally only been available on the Xbox, now playing it on the go on your Nintendo Switch. So gaming is going to be going through a metamorphosis, a change. It's not gonna be tied down to these boxes beneath your TV in your living room or your bedroom anymore. Another impressive thing, Google says they plan on streaming in 4K, 60 frames per second in high dynamic range HDR on day one. So again, going back to the example, you're watching a game trailer, you say to yourself, oh, I want to play this game. You click play now, instantly is streaming in 4K, 60 frames per second HDR from the cloud. It's impressive. It's interesting. And I think this is what we're going to see for the future of games. This coming E3 this June is going to be very telling of where the game industry is going to be going. Now, since Stadia runs in the cloud, it's not a piece of hardware that Google is going to sell you, but they did show off a piece of hardware specifically, and that was the Google Stadia controller. Now, you do not have to use the Stadia controller. You can use, for example, an Xbox controller plugged into your PC to play your games. But the Stadia controller in particular connects over Wi-Fi directly to Stadia in the cloud. In other words, you're reducing the latency for the commands you're giving to the game to get to the Google servers. Instead of plugging in an Xbox controller into your computer, and then let's just say you hit the A button, that A button press needs to go into your computer, then your computer sends it to the cloud, then your computer receives it back as a video stream signal. With the Stadia controller, when you press that same A button, it goes directly to the cloud. It eliminates a couple of steps between getting from the controller up to the cloud. Now, obviously, we have some questions here. What kind of internet speeds do you need to have in your home in order for this to be a 4K 60 frame per second experience? I'm sure it'll drop down to 1080p if you don't have the connection needed. What kind of latency is there going to be? Latency is a big thing when it comes to gaming, especially competitive gaming. What about pricing? Do you pay a monthly fee for Stadia and just get access to all the games? Or do you have free access to Stadia, but you need to pay per game, similar to buying a game for your Xbox or your PlayStation. These are all things Google has not yet answered, but it will be interesting to see what they have to say. And I expect we'll hear more either at Google I.O. and or at E3 from Google as well. Jumping into some questions I see from Twitter, Tony Adams asked what my take is on Google Stadia. Is this going to be a game changer or just another gaming flame out? Um, I don't know, particularly with Stadia itself, Will Google be able to make Stadia something that is long lasting and becomes a fixture in the gaming community? That I don't know. However, I do think that what Google showed is going to be the future of gaming. The future of gaming is going to be in the cloud. The power of gaming is going to be all done in the cloud processing of gaming is going to be done in the cloud and we're just going to have screens that we play these games on everything's going to operate in the cloud we don't need to worry about the power of our consoles anymore and updating our consoles and updating our games like one thing google showed was you know nowadays if a big patch is released for a game you have to download three gigabytes five gigabytes ten gigabytes to update your game when you just want to play well with stadia and other cloud-based services that game is updated in the cloud instantly anytime you fire it up you're just automatically playing the latest version, the latest update of that game. No more downloads required. No more needing to buy a new console every five years required. So I do think we're seeing the future unveiled before us. And same thing with, you know, Apple's upcoming video service and Netflix and Apple Music and Spotify. You know, one one thing I would say that is negative or that, that kind of has me concerned is you're not really owning 
your content anymore. You don't own your music. You subscribe to it. The second your subscription lapses, you don't have access to that music anymore. You don't own anything on Netflix. You have a Netflix subscription and the second that lapses, you don't have access to any of those shows anymore. You can't watch Stranger Things. It looks like gaming is going to be going that same way. And the future looks like it's going to be we lease our content. But we don't own our content. All of our content is owned by the content providers and we just have access to it rather than ownership of it. But let me know what you think about that. Do you see that as a future or am I off base? And with that, that is the end of this week's episode of Geared Up. If you're not already, you should subscribe over to my YouTube channel. I will be doing more live streaming of Geared Up there along with behind the scenes. You can do that at youtube.com slash gear live. And also, if you're listening to this and you're not subscribed to the podcast, simply search for geared up in your favorite podcast app. That's two words, not one. It's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, etc. Anywhere you listen, you'll find me there. If you like what we do, consider leaving us a review and a rating. It really helps other people find the show. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate your support. I'm Andrew Edwards, and I will catch you on the next episode.